Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 102 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I'm so glad you're here today. Today, the interview is with me. Uh, It's one of those days. And I did something this time. I went into my Facebook writers group. It's called Onward Writers, and you can join at any time. Just search for Onward Writers on Facebook. It should come right up and request to join. We're a real nice, friendly group over there. And I asked them for ideas on questions to answer. Basically, it's a Q&A like I give my patrons sometimes, uh, but it's for you guys because the person who was going to be on the show today got sick. There's this terrible flu thing that's been going around. So this is fun too. And we will get to hear from Jessica Strasser next week, which will be fabulous. And so today, a little bit of catch up before I go into the questions. Um, It has been a, a good writing week. I've been doing the whole getting up early thing today. I actually got up a little bit before 4 a.m. because uh, I had to do something pretty early in the morning, but I got my writing done and people, I was back in bed by 10, 10 a.m. I was in there taking a nap. I think I have reinvented the Spanish siesta in which I am now giving myself a short day and then a long nap and then another short day. I'm squeezing two days out of one day with this big long siesta in the middle or lunch break. I've just moved it all ahead four or five hours. How the uh, Spanish have their siestas at, you know, two or three. I'm starting mine at 10 or 11 and it's really working great. It's really keeping the lines between creativity and all the other business stuff. Uh, Very, very clean, which I've already, I've always been pretty good about keeping those parts separate, but to really just concentrate on new words or revision of new words in the morning and then in the afternoon to do my coaching and my business stuff and my marketing and my email, which is never ending. I am really fighting email, but I'm always fighting email. I'm such a procrastinator when it comes to email. I can glance at an email, think of how I'm going to answer it, and in my head it's answered. A really good method for me would be to remove email from my phone, and I'm not ready to do that. I think it would be pretty great, though. Maybe I'll do that. I'll keep you posted on this uh, decision. It's a big one. So um, this week, I've just been writing my Patreon essay on water. This month's replenished chapter is on water, what it means to me, what bodies of water have been my bodies of water and why that is uh, really looking at the liminal space between sea and land and not to get too deep but how creativity rests in that also liminal space um, the space between actual creation versus thinking the decisions we make about what we're writing about um so that's what the essay is. That has been really fun to write. And I would like to thank new patron, Kristen Fisher. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining the group of patrons that show me that um, you believe in what I'm doing and that you like listening to my voice or reading my essays or reading my books, whatever it is you do. It means the world to me that you give me that little vote of confidence. 
It's awesome. Uh, if you would like to check that out, it's at patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And there are some great rewards there. And if you just pledge a dollar, you get access to the back 18 essays or so that I've written. And they are some of my best work I've ever done. And they are, <laughs> they're available absolutely nowhere else yet since uh, I have not gotten together myself together to publish these or give them in a final form to my agent to try to sell. So really they are confined to the Patreon space and they're good y'all. It's hard for people, a lot of times women especially, to say that our work is good, but I believe in these essays. Um, they help change my life and I've heard from others that they help change theirs. So that's cool. Very cool. And everything else is going well. Loving the hot tub, uh, which my wife calls the tax deductible hot tub because, um, we, <laughs> we bought this blow up hot tub on Amazon, uh, for whenever I sell a book to New York through traditional publishing, I buy a pair of very expensive shoes called Fluvogs. And they're generally about $300. I cannot justify that kind of expense ever. I like a $7.99 shoe from Payless Shoe Source, you know. But whenever I sell a book, I buy a pair of shoes. This time, instead of buying a pair of shoes to celebrate, uh, we, I decided that I would buy this blow-up inflatable hot tub. I don't think I've told you guys about it. For $329 on Amazon. And it is the bomb. I really bought it because I was writing this month's essay on water and we have always wanted a hot tub and I just don't think we're grown up enough for a hot tub, honestly, like a regular old $4,000 hot tub to be installed and set up and then find out we can't manage the chemicals and it turns into a toxic sludge problem for waste management. Uh, but you know what? Trying it for $300, why not? So we did. We put it up about three weeks ago. It is the best thing ever, you guys. It sounds ridiculous, but it is the best. It's just like a regular spa. It has a heater and bubbles and um, filters and you treat it with the same chemicals and it's so great. I've been getting in it one or two times a day. I did the math. It actually saves us approximately 1,700 gallons of water a month because both my wife and I are bath takers. So um, I did the math. If we took an, a low estimate of four to five baths a week uh, to, between us, um, so, you know, two or three baths each a week, I didn't know that bathtubs held an average low end of 75 gallons and we have a small tub, so ours is about 75 gallons. A bigger tub would be like 110 or 120 gallons. And our hot tub is only 200 gallons. And that water sits in there for five weeks before you drain it out and put it back in. Um, so our water bill will actually be going down. We're saving water in California, which I've got lots of justifications for this, don't I? I just love the hot tub. I'm really enjoying it. It's really a place to relax and it's pretty fantastic. So that's working its way into the Patreon essay. I asked my tax person if I could write it off. I didn't think I could, but she said possibly half of it. She's going to look into it. She doesn't let me do anything illegal, nor would I want to, obviously. Um, but it is fun to call it the tax deductible hot tub. So now I would like to just jump right into questions that people asked over at the Onward Writer Facebook page. I got really great questions and I'm going to go pretty quickly through them because 
Uh, I think I have seven questions and they're all biggies. So I could have an entire show on any of these, but I don't want to do that. I want to give you lots of stuff. So we're going to go quickly. Um, Diane says, is it okay to start revising a zero draft if it is 95% complete or should zero draft be 100% complete before starting revisions? Asking for a friend. I hear you, Diane. Uh, I always advocate You've heard me do this before. I always advocate for finishing the entire book before you start revising it. Um, when in fact, I break that rule pretty consistently. Uh, I believe that you should not revise as you go along unless you are revising as you go along and you're finishing books that you're proud of. If you're doing that, then that's your system. If you are revising as you go along and you never finish a book that you're proud of, then you have to go through your book, write it, and then revise it later. That said, um, I have an 80% rule that I talk about in memoir, and this is a secondary 80% rule, and I'm going to lay it on you, and it is only worth what you paid for it. Um, but I believe that if we get to 80% at, in our books and we're really stuck because we've had the dark moment, we don't know how to fix it, we don't know what our wrap-up will be, um, it's okay to struggle with it for a little while and then realize that this is our real sticking point. If you're 80% or more, yes, feel free to go back to the beginning and start over, start your revision. And as you work your way up to the point where you got stuck, where you stopped, that ending is going to come to you. It really will. I always say that it won't for me. This time, I won't have an ending. And by the time I finish the revision to that point, the ending does come. Um, this is a rule that is a Rachel rule. It absolutely does not. It's not a true rule. If this rings true for you, then use it. Um, but for me, it really rings true. I must force myself through, bash my way through to that 80-ish percent mark uh, because I feel that way also at the 30% and the 40% and the 50%. I could always give myself a reason to stop and start over because I've done something so terribly wrong. Um, but if we do that, we don't finish books. So I allow you with all the powers that I have, which are exactly zero, uh, to stop at 80% or more and go back. So Diane, go back, start revising. How fun. It's going to be wonderful. Um, Zoe has a question that uh, piggybacks on that. When revising, do you have any tips on how to know if you're making something better or just different? That is a great big question. And for me in revising... I have to be able to take the top-down look, uh, that bird's-eye view of the book, which is why I need most of the book written before I start revising. Then I do um, what I've talked about in my Fast Draft Your Memoir book, which is really a book for all writers. Uh, there's a revision chapter in there, and I talk about writing a sentence outline. Basically, you write a few words of what happens in each scene that you've already written. Then you're able to take a top-down look and read your book, essentially, in you know, a minute and a half or so by looking at all of these fragments of sentences for each scene that you've written. And then you can start figuring out, do I want this to happen here? Is this strong enough? Is this an inciting incident? Is this a good place for a context shifting midpoint? Um, you can ask yourself those questions and then it's easier to answer your question, whether you are um, making something better or just um, different by looking at how that scene will work 
in your book as a whole. So I think, Zoe, when you're asking about revision, if you're just inside the scene moving sentences around and making sentences prettier or um, perhaps clarifying the transition between two scenes, that sounds like you're probably um, smoothing things. You're not making it very different. If you're making it very different, I think your gut will tell you whether this is the right move. If you're able to look at that scene and how you're changing it uh, with an eye to the global story, um, that sounds grand and it's not very grand. It's just knowing what your story is after you've written it. If you're already, if you're still writing it and you're fussing and changing things, you will not be able to tell whether you're making something different or better. Um, that's one of the reasons to get as far as you can in the book before you start revising. You can't tell if you're still in the middle of revising it, or writing it, sorry. I hope that makes sense. Um, James asks another large question. How does one make the jump to full-time writing? Um, Jay and I have talked about this on our other podcast, uh, The Writer's Well. It used to be called The Pedal to the Metal, but now we are The Writer's Well. .org. Um, all the episodes are cached there. You can get them on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast and you should be able to find the, um, the title of when do you know how to, when do you know to make the jump? That's a bigger, more expanded episode on this. But my quick answers are, uh, your debt should be paid off, uh, excluding your mortgage. I would not exclude student loans because student loans are terrible and they are, um, avaricious. They are awful. They, costs a lot more than we think they do until we actually go into the website and see what they're doing to us. So I would have all your debt paid off, no credit card bills, no um, car loans, and no uh, student loans. That sounds crazy, but um, I know you're freaking out right now. But if you had those things paid off, you could make the jump a lot easier. You know that you could make it if you go through a couple of months with really low income, which happens to all of us. I need to make uh, $3,300 a month in order to meet all of our bills here in the Bay Area, along with what my wife brings in. Um, and sometimes I just make $2,000 a month and I have 20 some books out and I coach and I teach. Other months, I'll make 10 or $15,000. It, it really fluctuates. Um, but those one or $2,000 months, uh, you have to be able to not only not be worrying about debt, but you have to have a savings. Um, I would say don't definitely don't make the jump unless you have six months worth of savings in the bank. Uh, that was that was our goal was to pay off debt and have six months savings in the bank. I jumped a little bit ahead of time because my mother-in-law got sick. So I jumped two months before my plan. We didn't have quite six months savings in the bank um, and it felt dangerous. It still feels dangerous. All of this feels dangerous. Making the jump to full-time writer is uh, not something that I advocate anyone do on the spur of the moment unless you do have access to funds um, from a spouse or from a parent or a trust fund or something like that. Uh, writing is so up and down. Um, it can absolutely be done, but you should also, so you should have your debt paid off, you should have a savings, and you should know your ability to produce work. If you want to be a six book a year writer, but realistically, brain wise, physically wise, um, you're more of a one book a year writer, then you have to be able to know that and know it truly. I personally want to be a six book a year writer. And I'm honestly 
more like a two or a three book writer max. There have been years where I've only had one book come out. So I need to know that about myself, although I'm always trying to lie to myself. The, the most I ever had come out in one year was four books. And I think that's true. I might have had a five book year, but that was anomalous. Uh, and I was really working hard to do that. So know yourself. Um, you can do it. Don't do it lightly. And please, God, don't blame me if you do it. Um, I'm always worried I'm going to say something that makes somebody jump into their dreams. But that sounds great, too. So, yes, jump into your dreams if you're ready to do it. And if it's safe enough to do so, make sure there is water underneath that diving board. Um, my analogies are really getting stretched now. So let's go to the next question. Um, Amy would like to know about establishing a writing habit. I love this question. I think that... In the best of possible worlds, which we don't live in, obviously, um, to establish a writing habit, you want to set up an actual habit, something you do every day at approximately the same time. Um, recently, I have been getting up and going immediately to the computer. I haven't looked at email. I haven't talked to anybody. I haven't even gotten a cup of coffee. I go to the computer and I open up my work in progress and I work for exactly 10 minutes on it. I set a timer. Every day I can barely see the screen because I've just woken up. And every day when the 10 minute timer goes off, I'm startled um, because I'm now I'm in the work. What that does is I've talked about this before. I wrote an essay about it once. Uh, it, it breaks the seal. Um, <laughs> to use a graphic silly term, but it, it breaks the seal. It makes us be in instant contact with that thing that we put up resistance to. You're too tired and too sleepy and too dumb, honestly, that early in the morning to put up much resistance. The resistance can't fight. So you have 10 minutes in, you know what you're doing a little bit. Um, it's not as scary. And then when you come back to it after the cats are fed and the kids have gone to school or at lunch on your lunch break at work, um, you just open up the document and you're there. You've already been there today. It's not scary. It makes it a lot easier. But um, establishing a writing habit, attach it to something else, attach it to before breakfast, you write for 30 minutes, uh, something like that. It needs to be almost daily. It doesn't need to be daily. Um, people's bodies differ. Their schedules differ. Um, God knows mine was never daily when I was working a day job. I didn't write on the days I worked because I worked 12 to 18 to 48 hour shifts. So I couldn't. Um, but on my days off, I had a routine. I had to uh, get to the desk by X time and stay there for two to three hours. And that was just my routine. So um, that's what I did every weekend that I had. And it really worked. And um, it's hard. It sounds, the answers we get when we ask that question of how to establish a writing habit um, sound flip, but it's just because they're so simple. The simple answer is show up and do the work on a regular basis. Um, prime your head, prime your muse to come at that time. Um, you know, don't look for the muse. She's impossible to find, but she ought, there's a quote somewhere. I can't remember it exactly, but she always shows up at 9 a.m. If I show up every day at 9 a.m., the muse just like happens to come by because she's she knows you're waiting for her. So uh, set that up in some way in your life. I would love to know and, and any of these things that we're talking about right now. If I'm addressing your question, come back into the comments on Onward Writers and tell me what you thought of what I said. And if you think I'm just a bag of wind and um, I'm completely wrong, I would also love to know that. Writers have very thick skins. I feel like I'm talking very fast today, but this is exciting. I have had no caffeine, I promise, and it is 4.30 in the afternoon. 
Um, Malin says, despite having listened to hundreds of hours of writing pod- podcasts, uh, she would like to know this. She, wor- she was worried if this was a stupid question. These are not stupid questions. These are great. So uh, for the first time, writing a novel, story editor, copy editor, beta readers, joining professional organizations, going to conferences, finding an agent, submitting to publishers, creating a newsletter, cover art, creating social media president- presence. What order do these happen? Where in the drafting, finishing process of your novel should you be at for each of these steps? And where does one find these professionals? If it's your first time, how do you know who is reputable, what is normally charged, etc.? Ignore if this is too basic for this crowd. Malin, these are like advanced questions. These are deep. And again, we could do hours just talking about this. But on a surface, quick answer level. Um, in terms of joining professional organizations and going to conferences, do it now. Do it now, now, now. If you have the threat of a kiss ever happening in your book, even if you're writing straight up horror, get yourself to your local RWA meeting, Romance Writers of America. You will learn more from them than you will from anybody else. Um, And there's an associate membership that you can be even if you don't write romance. They know everything. Join that. Go to conferences. The thing about going to conferences and joining professional organizations at this point, it's networking. And it's not networking in the cheesy hand over your business card card kind of way. It is finding the people who are on the same level as you the same entry point into the business. Um, me and my friends, Sophie and Julie, were connected at the hip and we all came in right about the same time. We had, um, Julie knew a little bit more about stuff than we did, and uh, but not much. And we've really risen through and fought through the publishing wars together. So um, we have the same battle scars and those are the people that you want to find. And so go to those. Um, regarding uh don't worry about finding an agent or submitting to publishers or creating a newsletter um until your book is written and done as best as you can spend your time talking to other writers going to professional conferences and things and writing don't worry about any of those other things because the more you start looking for your perfect agent online the less time you're spending on your book and you're upping your stress level when you're working on the book because now you're writing it instead of for the joy of your heart you're writing it for that agent who you're going to want to pitch it to don't worry about that Um, the most important thing is finishing the book to the best of your ability and then revising it to the best of your ability and then you can start taking um jumps and doing that kind of research and coming to this online forum and asking questions like this. Uh, Creating social media presence, sure, start that now, it can't hurt. I want to connect this to a question um, uh, MK asked, how important is it to have a solid platform before trying to publish a memoir, approach agents and or publishers? Um, Speaking of platforms, social media platforms, um, it is not important to have a solid platform. It really isn't. You should have some kind of a platform by the time you're uh, approaching agents and editors. But to be honest, and this is actually a a release of pressure for for me personally, um, unless you've got millions of followers or, you know, a couple hundred thousand on Instagram, the difference between having zero followers and having a couple thousand followers, publishers don't care. They don't see those numbers. Um, That's the same as zero. 
we're just not, I'm not, you're not probably, um, all of us are not famous enough to have the kind of platform where they go, oh, must have that book, must have that memoir. Uh, it, it used to be a little bit different, but that's the way it has shifted to now. So do establish your social media in your, in the pen name in which you want to write, um, set up a Facebook, set up a Twitter, put some things there, tell your friends about it, have them like you do the stuff that interests you. If you want to do a blog, do a blog. If you don't want to do a blog, heck no, don't do anything you don't want to do at this point. Um, and don't worry about it too much. If setting up a Facebook in your pen name or your real name as an author is fun, then do it. Otherwise, don't worry. Uh, let's see, did I miss anything on there? Um, creating a newsletter is a real good thing to do, but you only want to attract people to your newsletter, the people who like your writing. So if there's no place to send them to, to read your writing, there's really not much point setting up a newsletter right now. Um, story editor, copy editor, and beta readers. When do you find those? Again, after the book is done. The exception to that is if you're working with a developmental editor and they're taking you through your book. You can hire people to do that for you and with you. I am not totally sure where to go to look for that. I would check out readsy.com, R-E-E-D-S-Y.com or nybookeditors.com to find out about that, um, to have the hand-holding kind of editor. But um, that's that's anomalous. Most people don't do that. Uh, copy editors at the very last minute use those last. Um, beta readers, don't worry about beta readers until the book is done and revised to the best of your ability. And then come back here and ask where to find them and we can give you more. So uh, let's see. Valerie says, how can you tell the difference between needing a compassionate rest and being lazy? It's such a teeny tiny line between the two and some days I just can't tell. Girl, my life, seriously, um, this is something I'm always struggling with. I believe that I earn and deserve compassionate rest and I earn long afternoons that are much longer than my siesta lying in bed reading books. Uh, I don't feel like I'm lazy. Um, I don't fight the lazy question. I fight, I fight the depressed question. Um, the the line between compassionately resting and not working because I'm mildly depressed, for me, that's the line I have a hard time with. Um, and I guess to me, when I, when I feel like I'm being lazy, that makes me feel a little bit depressed. So I really have to do a gut check. Again, it comes down to um, what I know in my body. The other day, Monday or Tuesday, I spent the entire afternoon reading um, and like slipping in and out of sleep. And it was great. I knew it was what I needed. I had just turned in my revisions last week. Um, I was actually, you know, working with this book that I was reading and trying to incorporate it into something I'm writing. So it felt like work. Uh, but I also just needed rest. I was exhausted. So um, it felt great. And my gut told me you're not being lazy. You're being right on. You're right on track for what you need to be, do need to be doing right now. Um, other days, when I have the guilt about the way I'm resting, that's when I know I should usually get up and do a little bit more work. Do I always do that? No, I don't. I continue to stay on the couch or stay in the bed and um, look at Netflix and beat myself up a little bit. And that's something I'm really working on. Uh, but our guts tell us the truth, I believe. So my answer to that is I get up hella early and I work really hard and then I get my words done and then whatever happens during the rest of the day, if I've done that pre-work, I very rarely have guilt 
about resting um, in the afternoon or or during the day. Uh, the days I have guilt are the days I've blown off writing altogether. And it happens. It's a really good question. Uh, Megan Smith says, I have an idea for a memoir, um, kind of like I'm doing, Rachel's doing with Patreon essays, analyzing a current situation of mine and then basically experimenting on myself to see the internal change. No animals or humans will be hurt during the making of this book, hopefully. Uh, anyway, I've not done a project like this before and I'm wondering, how do I keep a balance of personal experience, the feels, and the analysis of the information I gather? Like, do I need a rubric? Uh, if I were reading the book I have in mind, I think I would want multiple types of meat to chew on rather than just a massive amount of emo beef, if you know what I mean. I do, uh, but maybe that's not how it's done. Great question. I would recommend reading any of A.J. Jacobs' books. Uh, he wrote The Year of Living Biblically, where he spent a year trying to follow all the precepts of the Bible and, and escape uh, certain death from his wife. Uh, he wrote The Know-It-All. He wrote My Life as an Experiment. Uh, he wrote Drop Dead Healthy, where he did the same thing with health tricks and tips. Um, he's done it a bunch of times, and I absolutely love the way he writes. And he maintains a really great level of the completely personal emo with research and investigation. Um, I also like the way Gretchen Rubin does that any of her books um the happy uh, happiness can't remember exactly what uh the happiness book was called um but she does that so look at look at models like that um if you are it sounds like you are a patron look at my essays and see see what i'm doing and i'm not saying i'm doing it right see what bothers you about my writing if you think i have too much emo in this essay figure out what proportion it is and put in more um, research. Or if you think I have too much research, where would you want more email? Really look at other um, examples and I will read your book. I will absolutely want to hear when it's coming out because that is my kind of book. I love a year project of anything. And in fact, two year projects, um, two separate year projects fell into my head yesterday. So I'm kind of excited about Replenish ending because I might have another idea or two. Huzzah. Uh, let's see, Julie, we're almost done here. I think this is the last question. Uh, Julie is thinking of starting a Patreon. In my experience, when is that a smart move? Should I wait until I have a giant audience or should I start it now with three books published? I plan to use the Patreon material for future books. Great question. And I hear this asked a lot um, and not always well answered. So I, I believe that um, Patreon is not um, a place for discovery. It really has very little discoverability built in within the platform. So you do have to have your fans come to Patreon. The reason that my Patreon is successful is because I had a large mailing list beforehand and I have a podcast and I go out and lecture and I tell people about it. Um, but with three books, you have enough of an audience already that um, you can send something out to your newsletter. I assume you have a newsletter and invite them to your Patreon. Uh, if they like your writing, they might support you because if you're going to be producing writing for them, that's fantastic. I do say that even if you only have one or two or 10 followers on Patreon, um, use the Patreon as a place to force yourself to write, to get the writing done. That's exactly what I use my Patreon for. Um, I have a per thing, not a per month uh, situation. I set it that way on purpose. So people do not get charged on my Patreon unless I produce an essay. And I can do that 
at max once a month, uh, once every calendar month. If I do not produce that essay, nobody gets charged. So it makes, and I don't get paid. So it makes me produce the essay. It makes me keep writing. It gives me basically um, this advance for a book that I will then someday publish. Uh, even if that advance is 20 bucks, you're going, you want to write these articles or stories or whatever it is you're working on anyway, right? Make yourself accountable by using a Patreon and it can just grow. It can just sit there. Um, I don't think there's anything to lose. I did tell a, a friend to do this and she started it and then shut it down because she's like, I didn't want to do that amount of work. I didn't actually want to create those things that I thought about, that I thought would attract people. Um, so it is not a place for, like I said, discoverability, but it is a great thing to do anyway. So I do encourage you to try it and let us know how it goes. This is a long enough episode. Just got very hot in my office. I'm going to take the rest of the night off. So I hope that you got something out of this. Please join Onward Writers. Um, please be on my newsletter if you're not on that. You can get to that by rachelherron.com slash write. I send out good stuff there that you don't get anywhere else. And this was really, really fun. I liked doing this Q&A. So we'll probably do another one sometime. And in any case, I wish you very happy writing. Thank you for spending your time with me. It means the world to me that you do. And we will talk very soon. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.